Happy World Water Day. March 22nd. Today, it's the day to celebrate water. It's a day to make a difference for all who suffer from water-related issues. And it's a day to discuss water in our future. It's a day to pause for considering water in all its forms around the world as well as in our own backyard. And this happens to be the same day that our Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, this is our global arm of social justice, asks congregations around the world to keep climate justice on their radar for the next month, up through Earth Day. We're happy to be asked to do that. And here at Hope, as you heard earlier, part of our work for the month will be joyous, celebrating our award as a certified green sanctuary and sharing the news with Tulsa and beyond. Being designated as a green sanctuary is an extraordinary honor as well as an obligation. It commits us to ongoing study, discussion, and action. We have to submit our progress to be recertified every five years. Because what we understand today as best practices for our environment, no doubt, will be different in five years. Information, technology, and our own habits change and evolve. And I, I deeply value our religious tradition's openness to science and ideas, a reasoned, thoughtful look at our environment, all, our whole earth, is essential but we can't stop there. What our religious community also folds into this work is the human element. We are called to understand history, philosophy, ethics, and human foibles. Science is not enough. It must be joined with self and group understanding. Blending these is exactly the task of our liberal religious tradition. So the title of the sermon, The Water Understands, comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson's poem, Water. An astute observer of his environment, and at the center of the transcendentalist emphasis on nature, this 19th century Unitarian minister wrote, the water understands civilization well. It wets my foot prettily, it chills my life but wittily. It is not disconcerted, it is not brokenhearted. Well used, it decketh joy, adorneth, doubleth joy. Ill used, it will destroy. In perfect time and measure, with a face of golden pleasure, elegantly destroy. Like all of nature, water has no ethical stance. It is indiscriminate in its seeping, flowing, carving, rushing, crushing, raining, drowning, 
and staying perfectly still. We are the creatures who assign value to it. We are transfixed by the beauty and music of a clear stream in the woods or its magnificent interplay with light in a fleeting rainbow. We're horrified by its power to erase a coastline, slice away a populated hillside, or drown crops and communities, or starve crops and communities. We try to tame it and control it while the water understands civilization well. Our work in environmental justice must include not only the observable science, but the hidden workings of the human heart. We have to understand the whole human community. We have to honor and carefully respond to other worldviews. We have to love and work with our rational as well as irrational sides. Let me tell you a story about how ill-used water will destroy It comes from a blog by New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof. And I read it last fall, and it continues to haunt me. Asia Bibi, a Christian Pakistani woman, was sentenced to death for blasphemy against Islam in 2010. The year before, while picking fruit with Muslim women, she took a sip of water from the local well. She was immediately accused of making the water impure by the other workers who told her that they could no longer use the well. According to her husband, Ashik Masi, and and others, men and women started beating her and accusing her of making derogatory remarks against the Islamic prophet Muhammad a charge she denies. Asia is currently in prison, waiting to be hanged after losing her appeal in October. Ill-used, water will destroy. This is a dramatic and extreme example of the collision of water and culture It's about the darkest side of religious prejudice. It's about political might in service to cruelty. It's about bullying. It's about water, and it's not. Lest you imagine we in America and in Tulsa are more modern and rational, hence immune to this intersection of water and craziness, Reconsider. Living in Oklahoma, we know rainwater is very scarce. Parts of our state are experiencing exceptional drought, the same final category of drought that much of California is experiencing right now. More than 3 million Oklahomans are adversely affected by this lack of rainfall. And I weep at the images of dying cattle and farms for sale, cracked open fields, These dire conditions raise memories of the Dust Bowl. Water is 
precious in our state. We would be wise to use as little as possible. But our memories can be short. Even this lovely rain last week and the spring flowers beginning to bloom can short-circuit our thinking about water scarcity. Our relationship to this resource is complicated by all the ways water flows through our lives. It is both a necessity and a convenience. So let's get scatological to discuss the complexities of our relationship to water. Let's confine ourselves to one small aspect of water. I live in a house that has three flushing toilets. My aging house originally had just one upstairs. It was a common modern feature for houses built in the 1920s, and Tulsa was a new booming city then, and the necessary municipal incoming water and outgoing sewage pipes were built into the neighborhood and house. Tulsa was not going to be the Wild West or a country bumpkin community, but a refined oasis. This 90-year-old toilet, which we still use, has a tank that holds five, uh, up to seven gallons, actually, compared to the most recent toilet we bought last month that uses only a gallon and a half less. So if our household wastewater use is average compared to the rest of America, then the largest percentage of it gets flushed down the drain. It's more than a quarter of the indoor water we use annually. Toilet water surpasses washing machines, showers, dishwashers, and sinks. Talking exclusively about toilets allows us to look at an intersection of our complex cultural, economic, and environmental relationship to water. And I know I'm going to catch flack with adjectives for what kind of sermon this is. I'm trying to beat you to that punch. But nearly 40% of the world's population, around 2.6 billion people, lack access to a toilet. It is possible to live without a toilet, but the homes in our communities have to have a toilet. In fact, I called the city manager of building permits to ask her, If they're building new homes, do they have to have a bathroom? And she said, yes, absolutely. Can't build one. So this may seem like a silly discussion when millions around the world are dying from a lack of water or clean water. And as Asia Bibi still sits on death row in a Pakistani prison over cultural misappropriation, My point is our daily, lavish use of a precious resource is tightly woven into all cultural aspects of our lives. The average American uses 176 gallons of water per day compared to five gallons of water the average African family uses each day. 176, five gallons. 
but to interrupt the construction of unnecessarily inefficient toilet systems would require dismantling every aspect of our day. Our toilets are a microcosm of all water issues and of climate justice concerns in general. Thirst and bodily needs drive our relationship with water until it becomes entangled in our cultural overlays. The water understands civilization well. But do we? Were the original owners of my house and my family's current use whisking away a waste a necessity or a luxury? Are you squirming in your seat imagining otherwise? (laughs) We don't actually have to have water-filled flushing toilets to live or survive. We can join that 40%. I've been backpacking, skiing, camping, mountaineering, digging my own latrine, then covering up the waste. Or maybe we don't have to be so black and white. We could compromise. Let's compromise. That would be best. We can economize and significantly minimize our water use. There are low water toilets and even waterless composting toilets. Yet, to retrofit my house would be expensive. I suspect it would be similar for you. So there's an economic disadvantage, disincentive to change. Not to mention our own laziness and other priorities keep us from reconfiguring our bathrooms. We could simply try to change our behavior. I don't mean, I don't mean holding it in. But we could flush less. I lived in California during one of their earlier droughts where the mantra to encourage less frequent use of toilet water was, and I still say it in my head, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. So would this slogan, cross-stitched and hung over the toilet, do the trick? Would my family and guests accept this restriction at our house or be totally grossed out? As our population persists in growing and as climates continue to change, should we even be worrying about this small part of our water footprint, our toilets? What we do each day matters. Yes, of course, we should examine our daily use. At the same time, we have to look beyond ourselves. We participate in a modern consumer society with increasing water demands. The world's population tripled in the 20th century, while the use of renewable water resources has grown sixfold. 70% of the wastewater we consume as a nation, goes into irrigation, thermoelectric plants, industry, and mining. Within the next 50 years, the world population will increase by another 40 or 50 percent. So our increasing demand for water will be even more serious on our environment in the future. 
while the science of how climate change will affect us, the general direction is very clear. There will be less dependable water resources. Entire regions in our world depend on glacial ice, and the scientists predict in within 10 years, all of these glaciers will be gone. Climate change means some places have far too little rain. Other parts of the world experience flooding because of rising sea levels. Still others have too much rain. As a consequence, the number of people living without reasonable access to safe and affordable water will significantly increase. So as water becomes more expensive, income disparities will increasingly determine who has water and who does not. And all these factors add up to one central question for this religious community to ask, and that is whether it's a human right to have access to clean, plentiful water. My answer is unequivocally yes. Civilization must begin to understand water. We cannot live but only three or four days without drinking water. Our bodies are 65% water, our blood 92%. Without water, sanitation, food production, health suffers. Everyone and every being, everyone and every being are entitled to safe, sufficient, accessible, and affordable water. So our church is the place to see clearly all the factors at play to guarantee this basic right. Our church is the place to temper our scientific understanding with humility. We can and must admit our limitations. We will never know all there is to know about water, about protecting and providing this essential liquid. But here we can refine our values to seek out community-based solutions. Here we can recognize often those who contribute the least to climate change are the ones suffering the most because of it. We've spent centuries, millennial, two millennia, blinded by this phrase in Genesis in the Genesis creation myth. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Dominion doesn't work. We have to collaborate and be part of and use every single aspect of our being we have to work in concert with fellow human beings as well as with the tyranny and grace of our world systems of nature to provide water for all. Civilization must begin to understand water. May it be so.